Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony, a news magazine show featuring human interest, in the spotlight, movers and shakers, and the news and happening that affect all of us in and out of the ACB community. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another Sunday edition with Anthony. I'm very excited about today's show. It's my first one in two weeks because obviously the magic and manic of convention was driving us all. And we are definitely celebrating convention because it was a smashing and phenomenal success. So I'm really, really glad to be back with everybody. Um, A little bit of housekeeping. If you have a question for one of the guests today, you can find the Zoom links on the leadership list or either of the two radio apps or on my Facebook page. Please feel free to join us. And if you have a question or a comment about convention or one of the guests, you can just raise your hands and we will definitely acknowledge. And so my show today, we will be finishing up the happening segment will include it, our president, Dan Spoon, executive director, Eric Bridges, both directors of ACB Radio, Deb Hazelton, Jason Castingway. Of course, we couldn't celebrate convention without highlighting and celebrating convention mama, Janet Dickelman, and possibly Tony Stevens. Um, a little later on in the program, I'll be joined by Gabriel Lopez Cafati, president of Blind Pride International who is celebrating 20 years this convention. But in Movers and Shakers, I am really, really glad to introduce everybody who may not know this dynamic man, but most of you already do. Say hi, Ron Brooks. Welcome to Sunday Edition. Hello, thank you. Uh, Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for joining. How's your post-convention week been? My post-convention week has been super busy, uh, super uh, challenging in some ways. It was really hard after um, the uh, convention, which was also very busy, to kind of get back to the normal routine of work and all that, but great week. Awesome. And a great convention week. Um, You know, the transportation forums were among if not the most talked about sessions in convention you put you and your committee put an amazing amount of work in to provide us with a really high quality um set of of um of sessions so let's dive right into into how it all came about and um some of the work you did putting it together Absolutely. So I want to start just by making sure that people who did an amazing amount of work are acknowledged. So there were two committees that really worked hard to put the transportation to mobility and beyond session together. They were the transportation committee, which is actually chaired by Sheila Styron from Kansas City, and the environmental access committee, which is chaired by uh, Becky Floyd Davidson from uh, now, well, now she's from Charlotte. And both committees 
the, those two committees tend to have a lot of intersections between the work that they do. Transportation, of course, is the process of getting from A to B, but environmental access is really the process of getting from your door to A and then from B to wherever it is you wanted to go. And so we did a lot of work together. We talked about what are the challenges and opportunities that mobility is facing right now in terms of transportation, public transit, paratransit, services like Uber and Lyft, things like autonomous vehicles and some of the technology that's coming our way. We talked about curb cuts and, and things like e-scooters and, and bicycles that are really, really cool for the people that can ride them and really, really not so cool for those of us who have to figure out how to walk around them uh, because they seem to be left everywhere but where they belong. So yeah. we had a lot of conversations, pedestrian access, crossing signals, you name it, we talked about it. And what we really wanted to do was create a comprehensive advocacy position for ACV around mobility. Because what we have typically done in the past is react to things that are happening or things that are proposed. What we wanted to do was to start being the catalyst for what is proposed and what happens. So the goal was to educate people about how these issues work, how they're funded, what laws affect them, then spend a couple of days collecting people's opinions, thoughts, recommendations, concerns, and then spend the last day, which happened to be Wednesday, talking about all of that feedback, putting it together, and talking about how to build coalitions because these issues are local and local issues have to be dealt with at the local level. And that means getting people educated and up to speed so they can do the work that has to get done. So that was the format. Uh, it came off incredibly well and we have a lot of work to do uh, coming from it. So that, that's kind of it in a nutshell. I think, um, you know, I think this can be said about convention in general, but the high level of participation, the amount of opportunities that people had to ask questions, to make comments, to be a part of the conversation has been noted over and over and over again. And the same thing with all the transportation seminars, there was definitely enough time for people to, to voice the concerns or to ask their questions. Um, I love how much education was presented and the way it wasn't drummed or beat into, it was all very much conversational form. Um, and it, it really went over well. So kudos to kudos to you and both committees for for giving us a a, a set of seminars that didn't feel like it, you know it was talking down to us or preaching at us, but really felt inclusive and enfolding us into into issues right now that are happening. And more importantly, looking at the potential of what can happen and being knowledgeable enough to to be able to react when when things change um i really thought that was phenomenally phenomenally done thank, thank you very much um the one of the things that came out of this series of workshops there were a couple so we got a lo lot of feedback that we're going to use to develop recommendations for transportation but the other thing we got was a request to develop 
and conduct community calls to engage yep, uh, as we go forward to make sure that people are being heard, that their questions are being answered, and that their concerns are being addressed. So beginning in August, we will begin to conduct monthly uh, calls, workshops, whatever you want to call them, in the, the uh, on ACB radio, or um, not sure if they're, I think they're going to be on ACB radio, definitely on Zoom. And the opportunity here is for us to present a guest speaker on a topic of either transportation or environmental access. And at every call, we will create time for, for people to ask their questions and raise their concerns. And what we're hoping is that this will help us transform the conversations we have from just being something we do once a year at convention to something that we're able to do all year round. So stay tuned for those. We are getting those scheduled. We will be making announcements. I think there will probably be a Facebook page in there somewhere. There will probably be emails in there somewhere. And of course, the, the shows and, and workshops themselves. So more come. Well, that's pretty awesome. Um, tomorrow, finally, it got delayed a few times, but tomorrow, ACB Voices, our ACB blog goes live. And um, I definitely would love to have the synopsis, the, the document that you placed, that you gave for everyone, the synopsis of the, um, the different sessions for the blog and anything that you come across, all the calls that you, that you end up having, we'd love to invite you to, uh, to place those on the blog as well. So what, um, what do you think the biggest, the most asked question was? transportation wise what a great question i think the biggest issues and i, I don't know if quantitatively these were the biggest issues because i don't think we counted the number of comments we got the biggest things that i heard having attended all the sessions were people want more access to manage their own use of paratransit. So most people have they have to they have to call ahead, they have to wait on a phone and talk to a person to request a trip. Then they have to wait at their door or on the curb for a vehicle to show up. And then they have to basically sit on that vehicle until they get where they're going. And that might be a short trip or a long trip, depending on how long that the driver takes and how many people there are on that vehicle. And what people really want is the ability to manage their service with a phone, with a smartphone or online and know how long their trip is going to take, be able to see where that vehicle is so that they don't have to just stand outside and wait and then have some idea of how long it's going to take. So, that was a big area of concern. People want service that they can predict and they can use easily. And a lot of people don't feel that they have that. I think the other thing that I heard is just a general desire to see transportation work better. Right now in the coronavirus pandemic that we're living in, a lot of systems have cut service. They have reduced service they have placed a lot of restrictions and, and some of those are tied to local health, health restrictions and other things, but 
people feel like transportation is hard right now because it is and they just want to have more access because we all still need to do the same things we had to do before you know getting to the store uh, getting to work if we're still going to work and just have the ability to leave our houses when we feel like we need to so there was a lot of concern about just what does that look like and how do we how do we maintain it yeah, there was there was also a lot of talk um, about what transportation may or may not, how it may or may not change because of the months and months of COVID restrictions. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely the funding that goes into the infrastructure, um, you know, from top down, which I found fascinating, um, you know, hearing that certain municipalities were given monies to cover a lot of places were offering all of the transportation for free for months, if some of them are still running free access but that costs and that cost is going to have to be made up somewhere so i mean we can't go through everything and those podcasts are available on the acb radio website you can go into podcasting or you can go to acbconvention.org and you can find all of those podcasts but in a summary kind of forum can you talk a little bit about that and and some of the concerns that were raised and and the possible um, advocacy that we may have to do because of yep. COVID and funding and so on. Absolutely. So oh, hold on one second. Is that are you multitasking, or is that sound coming from somewhere else? Yeah. Byron, if you can mute everyone but me and um and and uh, Ron, please. Sure thing. That it would looks be great like, um, for now. Yeah, there's a. So a I'm sorry, person. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I I didn't want that clacking to go through your next round nope. of uh, talking. <laughs> uh, no problem at all. You know, one of the advantages of working in transit is you work in loud places, so uh, <laughs> so it helps helps with distraction. So I will tell you. I was actually on a plane with my daughter from Tampa back to Phoenix when they canceled the basketball season. And that was when I went from thinking, oh, this COVID stuff is an inconvenience to going, oh my God, the world just changed. And it's never going to be the same because nobody cancels basketball season without a mm -hmm. season. So when I got back to Phoenix and started paying attention I realized that that the entire transit industry was completely disrupted. So, and it still is. So what I would say is that there is no hard and fast set of like consistent opinions, feelings, directions, plans. The industry is still looking to find its way. So what I'm going to tell you are generally concerns. They vary by community. But this is kind of the general feeling. If you ask, 80% yeah, of the people will tell you that this is kind of what they're thinking and what they're concerned about. So the biggest concern, of course, is we, we have this virus that is being transmitted and we don't really know as much about it as we'd like to. We're not really sure how much risk there is. So we're doing a lot of things to try to mitigate risk that we don't completely understand. And we're doing, we're making it up as we go along. One of the things that the industry immediately after the pandemic began and after we started seeing closures is 
we the industry wanted to minimize interaction between drivers and customers. So you saw things like free fares so that people don't have to handle money. Mm -hmm. And we saw boarding on at the back door of transit vehicles so that drivers would be less exposed. And we also saw some agencies making changes to paratransit where customers would be told, you know, what conditions they could ride under, what you know, trip sharing was ceased. Um, in some places, agencies put out rules that they could take temperatures and all sorts of things. But, but there, there's, there's been no change in the law. So agencies went to the federal government, many agencies, and asked for direction. And what they basically got was very little, at least at first. So since that time, I mean, the, the federal government at that time, basically, they didn't have any more information than the rest of us. And so not wanting to create regulatory guidance, which the, most agencies don't want to create regulatory guidance if they don't have to, th yeah. they basically told Transit, you know, do your best based on what you're getting in terms of recommendations from local health and safety officials. And that's kind of what they did. We are starting to see the federal government now making some general statements about what transit agencies can and cannot do. And the short answer is transit agencies can make rules that directly relate to the health and safety of drivers and passengers, but they cannot limit your right to use public transit or paratransit, except for direct threats to health and safety. So what that means in, practic in practical terms is for, for fixed route transit, you have the rights that you have always had to use transit when it's available. So drivers can't exclude you because they're concerned about you having a disability or anything like that. There has to be a, a legitimate basis. In terms of paratransit, agencies cannot restrict your use of paratransit based on where you want to go or when you want to go as long as the service is available. Um, they cannot it require you to go through a health screening unless they require all passengers to go through a health screening. So, Sorry. so we're starting to see the government basically say you can limit transit or paratransit based on as long as you limit it for everybody, but to the extent that it's available for anybody, it has to be available for everybody in accordance with the laws that are in place. So that's good because it's creating some clarity. On the funding side, right now there's plenty of money because the federal government passed the CARES Act and the CARES Act included about 25 billion with a B dollars for transit. And that money is funding local operations across the country. And it was funded with no requirement for for any local money. So that that's not typically how it works. So that means that local communities do not have to come up with any money. They can use all federal money to run their service. The, the challenge, of course, is that at some point the federal money runs out. There is talk of another uh, stimulus bill, but it is stalled in Congress right now. Mm -hmm. um, so there is a bill in the House. There is no bill in the Senate, and there's no commitment from the White House to pass the bill. So so that may or may not happen. At some point, federal money runs out. 
And what most communities are trying to do is let local money build up because they are collecting some local tax revenue, but it's not much. But the hope is that by the time the federal money runs out, the local money will be available so that service can continue. My personal opinion is that that is a lot of wishes and a lot of hope. And yeah. depending on how long the virus takes and how long the economy is down, we could reach a situation where money becomes very tight. And we should expect that things are not going to get better for a while. So now that's a pretty scary proposition, but there are, you know, certainly other ways to approach transportation, but, but they're going to involve making changes. So for example, in some cities, you're seeing transit agencies starting to use services like Uber and Lyft. Mm -hmm. Uh, services that cost less because they don't depend on large vehicles and employee drivers. So, so those things are, they're evolving, but they're, but those things tend to evolve slowly. So there's going to be a period of time where there's some uncertainty. What, what I'm, the other thing we're seeing right now, of course, is that even with services like Uber and Lyft and taxi, their driver workforces are depleted because a lot of those people don't want to ex be exposed. So they're not driving. They're not out there. So if you are a regular user of Uber, Lyft, taxi, you're experiencing wait times that are probably two to three times what they normally are. And I would expect that to continue for a while uh, just because there aren't as many people driving those vehicles as there normally are. So transportation right now is tough. It takes a little bit of extra time, maybe a lot of extra time. It takes extra patience. It takes flexibility. Um, and I can tell you that at least in my case, we are fortunate that we have a, a car in our family, a, a teenage driver. Um, so we are minimizing our use of transportation outside of the family to the extent that we're able because it just is a little bit less convenient to use than normal. So do we know much about the current administration's view on transit going forward? I mean, I know everything's up in the air COVID-wise, but are there any rumblings about, you know, what, what the plans are going forward if this, if there is a huge second, I feel like we're in the second right now, but let's call it second slash third wave of things. And do we have any rumblings of what it would look like under a new administration? So the current administration has been a proponent of building infrastructure. Um, so if it involves building a station or building rail or building, building anything, the administration has, this administration has tended to be more supportive. The new transit bill, which was a house bill, that is making its way through the Senate is more of a Democrat sponsored bill because the House is more Democratic than Republican. The focus has tended to look more at employment. So in the new transportation bill that is not yet law, there is a focus on protecting jobs, which you know, there's a, there's a, obviously there's a philosophical difference between building stuff and, and paying employees. And 
I don't know at this point where the administration will lean on a new transportation bill if it should get to them before the election. Um, I suspect that a new administration is probably going to approve anything that you know comes in front of it. They, I think the bigger question for me is how are we going to fund it? And, you know, one of the concerns I have in the new bill is that the, the bill has language in it that is, that basically weights the value of innovation against the number of jobs that it, that it either creates or eliminates. So there is a, for example, a requirement that any innovation if, if you want federal funding to pay for innovation like autonomous vehicles or, um, the, well, that's probably the best example. It cannot be funded federally if it causes any jobs to be eliminated. And those kinds of requirements. download failed. Not enough space on internal. So, all right. Those kind of requirements tend to make innovation a little more challenging. So, yeah, that's a concern that I personally have, but I'm not sure right now where, which way the bill is going to go. So I think it's a little bit early to tell. So, you know, a lot of people will say the paratransit systems across the country are broken, and they're broken so in such ways that they, they're almost beyond repair. And then you have municip municip municipalities like New York, who are using Uber and Lyft as a backup to the actual paratransit systems that are in place. Um, are, are we hearing good feedback from, from the ideas of partnering up more with services like Uber and Lyft? And you know, is there any potential in the next couple of years of seeing a massive swing from the traditional paratransit systems in place now to a more either by um, by system or, you know, exclusively to one of those or a newly created uh, ride sharing service. Yeah. yeah, I think that there's a lot of reasons to believe that you will see more of a push toward alternative service approaches to paratransit. The even before COVID-19, paratransit, the cost of paratransit and the growth of paratransit as our population ages and lives longer and has higher expectations for mobility, uh, the cost of paratransit was increasing beyond where a lot of agencies were able to pay without making cuts to their other services. So there was already yeah. a desire within the industry to see paratransit service cost less and services like Uber and Lyft were already starting to make small inroads into paratransit. COVID has made the need for that even greater. And now, and last week, and this has kind of just happened, um, Uber, one of the companies in the, you know, obviously in the um, technology space, uh, purchased a paratransit software company. Um, so that okay. is probably going to accelerate the change. Now, there are some downsides to what that looks like and some upsides. It's kind of early. But what it points to, more than anything, is the fact that 
that companies like Uber and Lyft and, and even companies like where I work, where we partner with those companies to deliver service. Um, I think all of us who are in the space of innovation and changing the paratransit model believe that there, that, that the role for new approaches to service is going to increase. Um, and we're making investments to see that it happens. Nice. Byron, I'm going to ask this last official question. So if you want to keep your eye out and let us know if anyone raises their hands after Ron answers. Ron, one of the things that I loved um, about the different sessions, but there was, uh, I can't remember which day it was to ask them. You can tell them and then they can find me the um, podcast. There was a lot of talk about how we can engage on the local level. There was a lot of, um, you know, the transit meetings and the the um, postings that they'll put up and building relationships with local administrators, both from you know the the legislative side and and under the your you know your local transit agencies. Can you give us a little a little tease on what that session was talking about and which one they can look at if if they're interested in finding more out about their own transit systems and, and building relationships that will end up, end up being key in the future. Yeah, absolutely. So the session was Wednesday. And Wednesday. so if going back to the podcast, it would be Wednesday. And the Wednesday session was cool for a couple of reasons. Uh, first, yeah. we, we, we spent the first little bit summarizing what we learned from the small group discussions that ACB members reflected on as their goals and their concerns for transportation. So that was the first part. The second part, we had a, a guest speaker. Her, uh, her name is Dr. J Judy Shanley. She's the director of the National C Center on Mobility Management. And she talked about how to build coalitions at the local level. And you know, part of it is, is really being open about who is in your coalition being inclusive in terms of recognizing that all of us who need ex yeah, expanded access to transportation are our potential allies. And, and this is a pretty broad coalition. It can, depending on the community, it can include people who are bicyclists, um, people who are developers building housing communities and and redeveloping downtown neighborhoods, uh, you know, all sorts of, of people uh, who depend on transit because they're trying to solve for congestion. Uh, it can include other organizations that provide services in the community, everything from veterans services to homeless shelters to uh, work and employment programs uh, to other disability groups. So all of these groups are potential partners in a coalition to advocate for better transportation. So what, what we talked about was the need to engage, you know, first identify and then engage with these groups. And there, there were lots of tips on kind of how to do that. So you could talk about going to each other's events and building relationships that way. Or you could talk about having get togethers informal where you can have listening sessions so that everybody can share their concerns so that you can find the common ground. 
so we talked a little bit about that. And Judy did a great job of walking through some scenarios and some ideas. The, the other thing is just knowing when does your transit agency have its meetings? You know, what are the committees that meet? There's probably a board. I mean, almost certainly there's a board of directors of some sort. They have meetings. Those are almost always public meetings. So being aware of when and where those meetings take place. Of course, nowadays, almost everything takes place virtually. So that helps. It's, it's being able to find where documents get published, things like meeting minutes and budget plans and project proposals and all that sort of thing. It's knowing who funds your transit agency locally. It's knowing how, how projects are prioritized and, and planned. And it's knowing what other groups are contributing to the conversation. So in addition to that board, there's probably <coughs> three committee for, for citizens. There's probably also an accessibility advisory committee. Most transit agencies will have that as well knowing where those groups are, who they are, when they meet, and being a part of it. And again, with everything happening virtually, it's a lot easier than it used to be. And yeah. I personally believe that we will never go back to the time when there is not a virtual option for most of these meetings. I think that virtual is here to stay. And there may the time will come again when groups meet in person, but the, I believe there will always be a virtual option going forward. It's, it's just too easy. And, and just like ACB, all groups that I know of are saying the same thing. Now that they're having virtual meetings, they're having more participation. Yeah. So I think, I think Claire and Clark especially would absolutely be jumping up and down as you're speaking because building relationships and educating yourself on all the ins and outs of an issue you want to advocate for can only serve to propel you quicker quickly forward, um, you know, and, and serve, and serve to give you that air of, of understanding the situation that you're advocating for, which is really important. Yep. So Byron, I don't know if Caleb joined us, but do we have any hands raised for Ron? Um, I don't see Caleb yet. And um, as of right now, I do not see any raised hands. Should I give Byron. the commands on how to do that for those who might not know? Well, I didn't raise my hand. This is Gabe. Hey, Gabe, you're my next guest, but you're more than welcome <laughs> I to <know>. join us now. <laughs> I, I, have, I do have a question. Hey, Ron, I'll, as always, thank you for not only the, the great uh, information that you bring to us, but in such a, an eloquent and understandable way. Um, when you were talking just last, one of your last uh, topics was uh, coalitions and getting involved. Here in mm -hmm. Miami, we had a situation. So I'm just, uh, it, I know it's not a, a gripe session. It's, it's, more, it's more of an advice because I think that many other cities may be facing something similar. Here in mm -hmm. Miami, there was a lot of talk about, um, about a, a uh, you know, working with, with uh, rideshare services like Uber and Lyft. Mm -hmm. And uh, the main opposition, why it never took off, was because the main opposition came from the disability community itself. Because I understand, and this is my understanding from attending some of the meetings and the information that I got, that um, basically people who uh, use wheelchairs complained mm -hmm. that that would exclude them from the services. Now, the 
the the thing with Uber and Lyft was not to completely eliminate the you know specialized vans and services. It was just to alleviate the mm -hmm. volume of traffic and for you know especially for ambulatory passengers who do not need a special ramp or a special type of vehicle. You, you, they could alleviate by using uh, contracting with Uber and Lyft, and the main uh, pullback or pull away from the project was from the disabled community as well, because uh, itself, because they said that they would not be included in that project. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, how would you respond to something like that? That's a great question. And first off, let me just talk to you about the legal ramifications and then I want to talk to you about a strategy so there is a concept within federal law non-discrimination law called equity and what equity says is that customers regardless of, of all of the different categories upon which discrimination is able to be based um, whether it be gender, age, disability, um, sexual orientation. Um, I don't know if, if the law at this point includes identity, but you know all of the different criteria, including disability, cannot be the basis for discrimination. And programs have to serve all people equally, regardless of these characteristics. And so what equity says in a transportation context is that service has to basically function the same way. Basically, you and I, let's say that I'm in a wheelchair and you are not, we should be able to experience service in the same way with roughly the same quality because mm -hmm. otherwise it's not really fair. So in most cities, Uber or Lyft means that you wait about five or 10 minutes. Uh, right now, it's longer, but normally five or 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. If you are in a wheelchair and you need a vehicle, you probably wait at least a half an hour and probably more like an hour or more. And that's mm -hmm. not equitable. So I actually agree from an equity standpoint that you have to solve for that difference or it's, or it's not fair and it's not legal. So what I would say, and, and the reason that I work where I work is because we're committed to bringing these kinds of services to the market, but bringing them in a way that creates equity. And it's one of the things that we are starting to educate the transit industry around is that there are ways to deliver a higher quality of service with equity, but probably not by just signing up and creating a direct API integration between a transit mm -hmm. system and Uber. Because Uber in most communities doesn't have the kind of wheelchair capacity to create the service experience for a person in a wheelchair that they can create for a person who's blind. So I actually agree philosophically, even though it doesn't support me personally, I actually mm -hmm, agree yeah. when wheelchairs, that, that it's not fair. And what we as a community need to do is we need to stand with our entire community uh, that we're a part of and demand better service for everybody. There are ways to do it mm -hmm. and, and we need to be advocating for those. And that is in the short term, that is not something that benefits blind people. 
in the long term, I believe it benefits everybody because, you know, one of the ways that the establishment, and I hate, I mean, I'm going to sound like one of those people, but when, when the, when the majority is able to take the minority community of people with disabilities and separate us and basically meet the needs of some of us, but not all of us, we are all marginalized in the long term. We are yep. much better together. So yeah, what I would I like agree. to see us do is build systems that support all of us, mm -hmm. which is why I'm where I am and not working for Uber or Lyft or somebody like that. <laughs> can Thanks. you um, Thanks, Ron. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do every day? Sure. Yeah. So I work for a company called American Logistics. We, we were actually sponsors this year at the convention. And what I, I'm building our transportation business. And what we do as a company is, is pretty straightforward and simple. We are, we essentially represent a, a, what's called a broker or a manager. And what we do is we've created a technology platform that essentially allows trips to be dispatched to providers. What we do is we recruit as many providers as we can, including rideshare providers like Uber and Lyft, local cab companies, which have certain strengths in certain situations, mm -hmm. as well as non-emergency medical providers who have wheelchair vehicles. We recruit as many as we can and put them on our technology platform so that customers can use a, a call center or a mobile app or a website to connect to those providers and take the trips they want to take. And that's it. That's what we do. Um, we have some technology that, and some business practices that help us manage the equity of that service so that everybody experiences it the same way, even if they're not using an Uber or a Lyft. And our service quality probably lands somewhere between what Uber and Lyft provide, which is really, really fast, but not very equitable and paratransit, which is really, really equitable, but not very fast. So is, we, is there a way to marry the kind of technology that, that you're working with now and that's kind of technology that Uber uses as their main platform with existing paratransit um, uh, systems and, and make it more efficient? Is there a way to go that route in the future? Yeah, the short answer is yes. And, and I want to be fair. It's not just us. I mean, we are, I, I believe we are, from a technology standpoint, in, um, in a very good position relative to some of the other people that are trying to do this. But the short answer is yes. Um, to the, many, uh, many of us are all working to integrate uh, with technologies like Uber and Lyft. And in fact, we, we do integrate with Uber and Lyft. Um, but what it really comes down to, it's not just technology, it's also operations. So the technology is actually the easy part. You know, building an API um, yeah. and connecting software systems and transmitting data back and forth, that's the easy part. I mean, it's not that easy, but it's easy uh, relatively. It's just technology, it's just code writing. The, the challenging part is, is creating the operational system that treats everybody in a way that, that ends up creating equity. And that takes right. a little bit of expertise and a little bit of, of work. Um, but I believe it is, it is totally possible. And that's, 
you know, that's what I'm here to, to solve for. I mean, not, I'm not the one doing it, um, but, uh, but I'm supporting, right. Absolutely supporting it and, and trying to bring it to the industry to say that you can actually have your cake and eat it too. Anybody out there who has a question, if you want to unmute yourself and say hi to Ron. Then Ron, I'm going to ask you to tell everybody where they can find uh, more information, where they can go to, to voice their opinions, and if they have any specific questions for you or the committees. Yeah, Give absolutely. A broad stroke. <laughs> um, be happy to do it. So just a, a couple of things. Um, you can, if you want to reach out to me, I'm, I'm on Facebook, on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me there. Um, our company has a website, AmericanLogistics.com. Feel free to check it out. And as far as ACB goes, this is going to get better because we're going to create a transportation. Uh, actually, we're going to be calling it a uh, to Mobility and Beyond, uh, which will be our monthly uh, reach out to the community. So you can find us there once it's created. So stay tuned. And in the meantime, you can definitely reach out on ACBL, which is the general email list. You can reach out if you're on the leadership list, you can reach out that way. You can reach out through the ACB um, community group on Facebook. Um, and, and I'm there and the as well. And, <laughs> right. So, so and, and you can also, you know, reach out through Anthony or, or Gabe or other people, and I'm sure they know how to find us. So. You know, if you have questions, ask them. If you have concerns, raise them. And we will do our best to, you know, make sure that they are heard uh, and that they are addressed. And, you know, one of the reasons for all of this, you know, the community calls once a month is so that we're not basically responding once a year at convention time. We want to make this an ongoing conversation so that you don't have to wait to have your questions answered. We'll definitely keep Sunday edition informed, um, especially when you have that first community call scheduled. Uh, we will definitely promote it here. And awesome. uh, I'll put you on the spot and say after that first community call, will you come back the next Sunday and let's talk some more about uh, the, the changing face of transportation. And I definitely want to deep dive more into Ron Brooks' demand, but unfortunately I have a pack schedule today, but uh, promise me you'll come back. Always willing to come back and we'll figure out a time and we'll come back and answer what other questions you have. And, and hopefully by then maybe have more of a dialogue about what other people are experiencing with uh, transportation, what other kind of questions they have. And, and as we go forward, maybe talk about what goals you would like to see us address as part of our transportation strategy. Awesome. I'm going to make a last call. Um, if anyone has their hand raised, Byron, unmute them, or if you can unmute yourself, the last call for a question for Ron. Yeah, I do not see well, any Ron, raised thank hands. Thank you so very thank much for joining. What would, thank you. What, thank you. Any last thoughts? Only that I appreciate the uh, opportunity to be here to share some information, and I I heard that Eric just joined, so I'm going to be quiet and um, just let you guys go on with your show. But uh, I really appreciate the work that you do uh, in bringing people together um, and connecting people. And, you know, we we um, you know, we have 
a great organization that I believe is going to do amazing things in the year to come in the space of transportation and mobility. And I can't wait to see what that looks like. So thank you. Same here. Thank you so much, Ron. We will be back after this short break. Take it away, Byron. Do you remember BPI? Oh yeah, Blind LGBT Pride International. They're a special interest affiliate of ACB. Yes, they are the ones doing all these cool things at convention. Guess what they're up to now? Do tell. Their own show. It's called Pride Connection. That's great, but what if I'm not a part of the LGBT community? This is a show for everyone. Actually, non-LGBT and non-disabled folks are known as allies, and they are a huge portion of BPI's membership. Everyone is welcome. So what kinds of topics can I expect from Pride Connection? Fun and relevant topics for everyone, from blindness to LGBT education, technology to advocacy. So when will Pride Connection take place? Every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Be sure to tune in so we can all connect and learn while having fun. Pride Connection on On ACB ACB Radio Mainstream. I am back with In the Spotlight. Thank you so much, Ron Brooks, for all of the, the wealth of information, and I will definitely be calling you to come back. I am now going to introduce Gabriel Lopez Cafati, a longtime ACB member, but more um, aptly, he is the president of Blind Pride International, who celebrated their 20th hour, 20th year of um, service and servitude under the ACB umbrella. Gabriel, welcome to Sunday Edition. Thank you, Anthony. For the first time, I'm here. <laughs> well, I, I was waiting for a big and bad reason to get you up on here, and I finally have it. 20 years. I know I heard Rob Hill join, so I'm going to ask him to step up in a minute and um, speak yeah. as well. But 20 years of BPI. For those who may not who may not know exactly what BPI is and what we do and who we are, can you give us the... Uh, the sure. synopsis version, the Library of Congress annotation version. <laughs> <laughs> the me- metadata, yes. Um, well, BPI stands for Blind LGBT Pride International. So to keep it short and simple, uh, we are known as BPI. As Anthony mentioned, we uh, just celebrated our 20th anniversary of uh, being a special interest affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. And um, basically our mission is to promote the awareness and inclusion of uh, those of us who are blind or visually impaired members of the LGBT community um, through education uh, and uh, peer support. So, um, yeah, we are that organization that serves the intersectionality of being visually impaired and being part of the LGBT community. We are growing, we educate, we advocate. we work uh, together with our parent organization. Uh, we have members not only in, I believe, almost every state, but we also have international members, uh, Canada, Philippines, uh, and other parts of uh, Europe and Latin America. And uh, we also, uh, one question that I will answer before it pops up in anyone's mind, you do not have to be LGBT to be part of our community. Our family is welcoming, embracing, 
and we love allies. Uh, we have many members who are allies, whether sighted LGBT allies or blind non-LGBT allies. So join us and uh, like our promos say, join the fun. We love to mingle, learn, educate, and all while having fun and while making this a great experience for everyone. Well, Gabe, um, obviously most of the listeners know that I have a very personal relationship with you. So I know a lot of what went in behind the scenes to translate an in-person convention program to a virtual one. And there were a lot of comments across the Facebook page and various other areas saying, wow, you guys had so much stuff going on and all the, all the sessions that you guys put up were fun and interactive et cetera, et cetera. So give me, give me your, um, interpret your interpretation of what's happened and how it happened when we went from in-person to virtual and tell me how you feel about the success of it all. Well, going from in-person to virtual, um, personally was a shock at the beginning. Just the thought of it was, uh, to me, convention has always been very special. Um, I have since my first convention, I only missed one, and that was because I was um, I was being uh, matched with with Posh, my first guide dog at Guiding Eyes for the Blind, and I had to do it over the summer because I was still in school. I was uh, doing my master's degree, so um, I couldn't choose a different date, and I don't regret it for a single moment because anyone who knows me knows that Posh is just <laughs> the best for me. So um, ever <laughs> since I've been going to convention, uh, I've never missed it because of the magic, the experience, the, you know, in-person, uh, that, that camaraderie, that, you know, in-person energy. And of course, the social activities after work hours and the stuff that we do at, at BPI, we're always um, bringing, besides the advocacy of the education portion of uh, the blind and LGBT we usually have wine tastings and uh, mind body sessions and stuff that is always so interactive and so personal. And so, so, so it was, it was a challenge. It was a challenge. Um, I definitely had hopes and uh, Janet Dickelman who may be already listening or maybe already on the call can say that there was no difference between virtual and, um, and in person planning or coming up to planning the convention, Janet still probably wanted to strangle me over the phone <laughs> when I was driving her crazy at the beginning. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? When are we going to know? When are we going to have to change our, pro how much time do we have? <laughs> and uh, um, just, just, just the fact that we had to change everything. It, it was, uh, I'm not going to lie. It, it, it filled me with anxiety. And you know that, Anthony, because <laughs> I was commenting. Actually, I think I was chatting with some people. I know I commented with Dan and some other folks how 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 difficult it is to be talking and talking and talking. And that's why I know you commented on the Facebook, on the community Facebook page, Anthony, that two of the most common phrases or two the two most common phrases during this convention were, am I unmuted or can, can everyone hear me? Because sometimes you would be off talking and talking and talking and, and all of a sudden it's like you're alone. You, you don't, you're not getting the feedback. You're not getting the yawns. If you're boring people, you're not getting the giggles if you say something funny. 
you you don't hear the dogs <laughs> you don't hear anything so sometimes it's like whoa like speaking into space um but we did it and um and and i understand that uh things happen and um this is something that is so much beyond uh, anyone's control and i think our organization took the made the right decisions at the right times and um uh, and held our hands throughout the process so yeah definitely thank you acb for for calming our anxieties and 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 showing us that definitely we can do it and that nothing will stop an acb convention well we um at, you know and i i say we because everybody knows that i'm a proud very proud supporter slash member slash now fully elected secretary of bpi and we provided content and programming every day starting monday some of the highlights were a financial and retirement planning session which you can find on the podcast um we had an amazing we couldn't pass out wine unfortunately but we had mm -hmm. a, an amazing alternative which was a wine education um evening and we definitely because of the community calls and, and the amount of participation have decided to go forward with a couple of community calls around more wine education and then there were the partnerships we partnered up with acb students and next gen both for a wildly successful google forum and um, a meditation event which uh if you guys if anybody participated in that they might recognize the host of that uh the voice but you can find all of that on the um on the podcast section at acbconvention.org or on acb radio but it seems from a lot of people one of the highlights for convention which is why i asked you to come today and maybe not next week or the week after um was the event co-sponsored with international relations and that was voices around the world can you Absolutely. tell us a little about the journey to get to the actual presentation and some of the feedback you've gotten from it mm -hmm. yeah of course first of all thank you um thank you Dan for allowing me the opportunity of being part of such an amazing committee. Um, and Sandra, Sandra Sermons is a, an awesome chair. Um, I, I'm not going to go into all the names of the committee members because I'm, I'm uh, we all know what happens when we start mentioning names. We, we, we skip one and we don't want to, do, I don't want to do that. Um, so yeah, we have a very, very eclectic, very, 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 uh, solid committee and i really appreciate the committee offering um when much you know before any any covid talk started or any virtual talk had to be uh, brought to the table um the committee offered um bpi an opportunity of doing something with voices from around the world which is their their traditional luncheon at convention every year um, given that it was BPI's 20th anniversary, if we wanted to do something uh, with an LGBT topic, and that's why uh, you saw everyone saw the the uh, the blurbs on the event, which was voices from around the world with a twist. And um, yeah, I immediately jumped on it, and uh, Sandra and I started working and crafting what could we do, and we thought, what better idea than to have people from different parts of the world 
who are blind and LGBT so they could talk to us about their experiences in their countries and their experiences with their families and traditions and cultures and legislations in other parts of the world. So we immediately got to contact people. It was not easy <laughs> um, because people are, you know, different schedules, different languages, people who were saying language barriers were not, they did not feel comfortable. But at the end of the day, we got a panel together with four amazing individuals, two of them already BPI members. <laughs> and, um, and uh, the, um, you know, we had to hold their hands and communicate via Facebook Messenger and email and work with time zone differences. And uh, at the end of the day, one of the uh, participants who was very interested uh, from Venezuela um, has very limited English. And I brought it to the committee. I said, you know, he's comfortable participating, but we're going to need translation. Would that be okay? I'm willing and able. I've translated the past. And uh, the committee, again, was totally supportive. And that, you know, they, they said that's that's what we are. We're international relations. You know, you, that's, that's, that's perfectly fine to have translation. And we went with it, and um, wow, I, I mean, I'm still amazed. <laughs> uh, like I said, the uh, event was so well attended. People were so interested and so engaged. And our panelists, um, whom I have to, you know, give a shout out, um, Hannah May, who became a, a member of BPI. She's from the Philippines. Um, Taylor Adams from the UK. Um, Berkai Bilso from Turkey, living in Germany, and Jose Derizan, who also became a BPI member from Venezuela, in process of trying to settle um, here in Florida. Um, but uh, all amazing, amazing panelists with different stories, and uh, I had to translate for Jose, and 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 people were just so impressed, and uh, it was it was a great step forward because it also, um, I think it also. Uh, highlighted how inclusive we are at ACB and how we invite uh, people from diverse backgrounds and diverse cultures to join in and, 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 and how we want to bring them to the table. So yes, it was, it was a great collaboration. It was a lot of work. It was, it was a lot of stress trying to get everyone on the same page with time zones from all across the board, but we did it. And, and it was, it was, we were so happy to, to collaborate with international relations as BPI to bring this to the community. Well, I know, you know, personally, I know you were a little worried about having to do the translating and whether or not people would stay in, engaged and focused and whether that would be too much to ask from a virtual setting. Um, but a, a lot of the, a lot of the comments that we've seen were how amazing it was to hear someone you know, open up the way he opened up in his own voice, his own language, you know, and the trust between the two of you going back and forth. It was, it was beautiful. It was a, an, an absolutely beautiful presentation. So everybody who got, did not get a chance to experience it live virtually, you can go to, I've mentioned several times on today's show, you can go to acbconvention.org or ACB radio look up podcasts and the voices around the world is up there. And if you did not get a chance, this is one of the ones you most definitely want to go and listen to. It was an amazing presentation. 
But I'm going to swing back for a moment Mm -hmm. to BPI and the journey of 20 years. Um, There were some amazing celebrations. Uh, We were toasted quite a few different times, both from a BPI standpoint, but also from our parent organization during general session. A couple of the evening programs highlighted the fact that BPI turned 20. So now that it's all done and you're looking back on the journey to this year's convention, and the celebrating of 20 years. What do you want to say back to ACB members at large and maybe the board and and, um, the executives? Um, What do you want to say from BPI back to everybody? Wow. I I, I don't know what to say. Uh, It it was very emotional. Um, There was a lot, a lot in in my mind and in my heart that week because I couldn't believe it. It was, it was uh, so much planned and so much had to be shifted. And, um, and celebrating 20 years of being part of the ACB family, for those of you who were uh, in ACB back in the year 2000, we started off as a B flag, which is uh, now BPI. And, uh, two decades it's 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 so much it's it's we wanted to offer the celebration to everyone and we we did we finally did uh i felt i felt uh overwhelmed and over rejoiced and overly just i was just ecstatic to to hear all uh the callers that we got for our 20th anniversary happy hour uh, people telling their anecdotes from back in the years 1999 and 2000, um, talking about the evolution of B flag then into BPI, and now here we are in 2020, and uh, we're doing so many things. We are uh, a growing and alive organization. Um, we are an integral part of the ACB family. And um, we were ambassadors in, in a certain way of the LGBTQ community within the blindness and the disability field because we, we, we need to create safe spaces for everyone. And um, we are just more than you know, blind or visually impaired. We are blind lawyers. We are blind teachers. We are blind women. We are, uh, you know, a little bit of everything. So we are blind LGBTQ. So across 20 years of existence, I just want to say thank you to our founding members, uh, many of which participated actively. in, in not only the pride celebration during the month of June, but also during convention. And uh, thank you to the ACB leadership who has always demonstrated uh, a lot of support for this affiliate that has changed the life of so many, myself included. And um, we are, we're just so proud and rejoiced and we cannot wait till we can celebrate are coming of age in Phoenix next year in person. <laughs> 21. <laughs> yeah, 21 and 21. 
Well, Gabriel, you know, thank you so much for for those beautiful words and the recaps that you gave us so far. I know going forward, BPI has a lot of stuff in the works. Uh, like I said, we're definitely going to be doing some more wine education and maybe we can figure out a way to pass out wine somehow. We'll work on that. But <laughs> most, most recently coming up, that does not sound correct for the radio, but oh well. Um, coming up, we definitely um, are excited about a resolution that we presented to ACB and some movement on that. And storytelling, yes. the partnership that that uh, BPI is proud of, storytelling and, and how that focuses in with the blog. Can you talk just a tiny bit about those two and then I'll see if I'm, there are any questions. I'm, yeah, I'm going to talk about those two and I'm going to add one more. Um, sure. Just really, just really briefly, yes, we're very proud of, um, you know, the collaboration of many, many uh, leaders in ACB. I want to definitely publicly um, recognize Kim Charleston and Paul Edwards for their support in helping us draft this resolution. The resolution is uh, to uh, request that NLS include LGBT as a category. Well, we're actually asking for three categories, an LGBT fiction, LGBT nonfiction, and LGBT young adult. And um, we were also invited to the uh, one of the meetings with Karen uh, Karinger, and we uh, brought it up. We mentioned that the resolution is already submitted to ACB, um, to the resolutions committee. And, and one uh, of our amazing members. And Dean. one of our, yes, one of our members, a uh, lifetime member, Terry Gorman, uh, already compiled a bibliography of LGBT titles. And uh, I want to take advantage of this opportunity to clarify a, a, a little, I think, confusion that I was myself confused last week, because Surprisingly, we never knew that uh, NLS was going to move so quickly, and they moved, uh, they acted on the petition, and since Terry Gorman had provided his bibliography, they already created at least one uh, section uh, or one category for LGBT titles, and it so happened to be during uh, the other organization's convention, so there was some confusion thinking that it came out. Uh, no, I want to clarify that that resolution or the um, or that that result of having NLS include the LGBT category came from us and from the resolution that we're working on uh, you know like I said with Paul and Kim and uh, with the support of the resolutions committee and um, thanks to the collaboration of the uh, the bibliography provided by Terry but uh, yes that is something that we should be proud of and I'm sure that ACB uh, resolutions Will continue to work with us and fine fine tuning this resolution and make it make moving it forward even 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 more so thank you again acb um the storytelling yes we started off with a very interesting uh when we started with the community calls when they were a little bit more informal back at the you know mid-march beginning of april uh people started voicing to us some of their concerns how they were being left out from covid uh, efforts or covert COVID re related efforts and we brought the idea to uh, the leadership of ACB and they totally supported us and Tony Stevens uh, is uh, also leading this part of the uh, storytelling boot camp that we initiated to kind of help people make their stories effective so we can collect them and we can use them for advocacy purposes and also to help people advocate for themselves in their local communities. As we heard, Ron, that's so important 
to also do. So we're excited to move forward with, with our storytelling project. And I did want to highlight the third uh, project that I'll, uh, as well, uh, you know, due to convention, we had to kind of interrupt is uh, the um, calls and informational seminars that we've been holding on uh, inclusive language and uh, pronoun usage. It is just amazing how our ACB family has responded to yeah. that conversation with so much openness, so much, so much willingness to be educated and to understand and, and not to be politically correct, just to do the right thing and to treat everyone with the dignity and respect that they deserve. So again, thank you ACB for opening your hearts and your minds to this important conversation. So those are the three um, at least big topics that you will see uh, BPI and ACB uh, working on moving forward in the next couple of months. All right. Well, time is a cruel mistress, and I'm not ready to say goodbye quite yet. No, that's okay. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> I know I heard Rob Hill earlier, and I just want to give Rob the opportunity. If you're here and you want to say hello to Gabe and to all of ACB, Rob Hill was the founding president of of a B flag at the time. Rob, are you still with us? And All right, Rob, you, and also Rob, you may have to unmute yourself. I uh, I do believe that you are able to unmute yourself, so you may have to do that. Byron, in the meantime, are there any other hands for Gabriel? Uh, I do not see any hands up at the oh. moment, and I hear Rob. I think there's, I, yeah. Hi, Rob. I'm, I'm gonna need to have a mentor by my side when I try to do this soon. I have more trouble <laughs> during the. Uh, in the party and everything, I was so embarrassed I couldn't get in. I fought and fought and fought, and I just couldn't do it. And this, this, then today, you were getting around to recognizing me, and I ducked out to make sure my mic was all open in the settings, and it was already open, so I didn't need to have done that. I came back into Zoom and in time to. <laughs> awesome. Time to, well, Rob, you um, spent a lot of work, energy, passion, determination. I could put in, you know, 30 other words into this sentence, but you know, time is a cruel mistress. 20 years later, how, how, how do you, how does it feel? You know, you, you helped create, you helped bring to, to the forefront B flag. And, and now 20 years later, we're an integral part of ACB at large and recognized around the world. We have members, from as far away as the Philippines, how do you, how do you feel, twenty years later? Well, it's astounding. Of course, I, I thought we might get a few good people together and talk about mutual things of mutual interest, but it's just gone beyond all bounds that I had in mind. I'm just very gratified that apparently it's serving a need. Apparently, so uh, <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad it worked out. It had been a lot of people over the years that are nurtured it and broadened it and you guys are taking it off to new heights and uh, I'm just very, very happy for the support it's had over the years. So um, I'm, it's just very exciting to see what happened. Well, it's no secret to the listeners that I came to ACB through BPI. That was what attracted me, you know, most to my first convention. And um so I can't thank you enough for the, the energy, the passion, and the determination that you put in 
20 years ago. Gabe, do you want to, uh, you want to tell Rob how much it means to all of us in yes. UPI? Yes, Rob, you know that this, this organization is a home for many of us and it is a life changer for many of us who felt that we were so alone. And, and like you said, we, it's gratifying to see how we have grown and how we are, uh, you know, we are such, so, such a solid part of the ACB family. And, Mm -hmm. And and it's it it is just you know BPI B flag and BPI have has changed so many lives and thank you for not giving up and thank you for your efforts that started over twenty years ago. Thank you for thank you for your comments. That feels very well. Good. I'm going to do some shameless promotion and <laughs> put you on the spot, Rob, and ask you to join us Tuesday night at 10 p.m. We're going to go live with Pride Connection. Um, yeah. And we're going to celebrate 20 years and most definitely all of the amazing programming that we had this year at convention. So please join us again Tuesday night at 10 p.m. on ACB Radio Mainstream. Unfortunately, I have got to take a quick break and then I will be back with ACB leadership and an amazing conversation about this year's convention. Be right back, folks. Gabriel, Rob, thank you so much for joining me. Thank, thank you, you, Anthony. Thanks, ACB, ACB Radio. Sunday edition is underwritten by Ira. A description of life on your terms. Ira is a visual interpreting service provided by trained agents through a smartphone app available in the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. Or call our customer care team at 1-800-835-1934. So I am going to structure this very tightly. I'm gonna ask Jason and Debbie to unmute themselves and we're gonna start with ACB Radio. Deb, success of convention, it's been amazing. There are a lot of people that are clamoring for their, spy, their space on ACB Radio for new shows. Talk to us, tell us what's been going on since convention, what's happening now, and how they can get to you to present new show ideas. Well, we are looking at new shows, new people to help with production, new people to help even with behind the scenes because the work that Jason Castingway does, the managing technical director, is also huge. And I think part of what I see is that this is an awesome time to be adding to the growth of ACB and ACB Radio. And they those two uh, bodies hold hands together in, in working really to improve the quality of life for people who are blind or visually impaired. And so as we continue to develop, it's really an expanded big picture that I'm looking at. Um, yeah, more shows, more affiliate involvement, more live advocacy kinds of things with that like that advocacy boot camp and Ron I definitely want your uh, community call uh, to be a show on ACB radio that's a logical um, a, just a logical kind of thing to happen um, oh, there's lots to say but this was huge and really wonderful and we are going to uh, make the most of the momentum that we are still in. Uh, you can get in touch with me, D Hazelton, D H A Z 
E-L-T-O-N at ACB.org. Very exciting. Thank you. Jason, any thoughts real quick before I go to our esteemed leaders? Well, uh, I am feeling we, like, like Debbie said, we've got a lot of momentum going. I think especially, um, you know, before the convention with the community calls, but during the convention, you know, the success of the convention, I think, launched us into a whole new orbit. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's, it's very exciting to, to know what this means for the organization and, and for all the affiliates and, and what can be done with that. So um, I think that's, that's all I have to say. And if people would like to be in touch with me, that's Jay Castonguay. That's J-C-A-S-T-O-N. G-U-A-Y at acb.org. Well, I wear a couple of different hats recently, um, but from a ACB member standpoint, I want to just say, wow, you guys, thank you so much for all the effort, the time, the energy, and I'm sure tears. Uh, I'm not going to put anyone on the spot and ask how many times they cried, but <laughs> all the energy expended into, into making this convention, an absolute runaway success. Um, I know that there are some key people that could be highlighted, that should be highlighted on top of it, but I will let you guys and Eric and Dan highlight those amazing people, Rick, Jeff, Deb, and so many other people. Um, on that note, Eric and Dan, please unmute yourselves. Welcome to Sunday edition, the parade following convention special. <laughs> welcome, mm -hmm. welcome, welcome. It's great to be here, Anthony. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Thank you yes. so much. Thanks, Anthony. Glad to be here. So I'm going to start in, in a different direction. Tell me what, after, you know, you've had a week to rest, what is the biggest takeaway for you from having done this? Three and a half months ago, you were looking at an amazing feat. How the heck are we going to pull this off? And now, not only did we pull it off, but we pulled it off in such a manner that we're being highlighted and talked about all over the place in such great flowing way, great, you know, amazing ways. So how does it feel, Dan? Sure. Uh, well, I don't know. Awesome. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it really, it really, really does. Uh, it, first of all, I'm just, um, Eric and I have both said this many times, but but we're just proud. We're proud of our of our organization, of the ACB family, the team, everybody that just came together. I think uh, Deb Cook Lewis was on a call with Paul Edwards earlier this week, and I think she kind of summed it up and that she said everybody had a participatory part to play in this convention, whether you were involved in a special interest affiliate, uh, a committee. You were one of the 400 panelists we had on the breakout sessions. You were part of the wonderful ACB radio team of, of Debbie and Jason and Jeff and Deb and Rick and, and Katie and Carla and all that team that just were just an amazing, amazing work or part of the staff, uh, the board, everybody just just stepped up and and I don't know gosh it just it just makes you feel good it, it really really does it's it's kind of a 
it, it was a it was a lot of work, but it was a lot of a lot of satisfaction at the end. I felt. How about you, Eric? Oh, I completely agree. I mean, from my from my standpoint, it it the takeaways I have were really two words: talent and infrastructure. So the talent, um, and and you know, hours and hours of work put in by people on our team, uh, contractors, but ultimately we had to rely a ton on our members, our volunteer members to assist in the creation of, of, of content assist, um, you know, in terms of programming, but also production. Um, there's just a, a ton of talent that exists within our organization. And then the infrastructure component of it, which is, uh, in place to a great degree, thankfully, with ACB Radio and the uh, the various channels on ACB Radio, the uh, the Alexa skills that had been uh, created, so that uh, folks could could take part in listening from you know their couch and didn't have to go into a Zoom room if they didn't want to, uh, and then also. ACB Link, which has been around for several years and being able to utilize that. I know that several of us in the office actually utilized ACB Link through the course of the week. So, um, you know, these are big, um, big components that contributed to a successful execution of our, of our convention. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, just having this tremendous sense of pride and exhaustion, um, which is interesting. The exhaustion was equal <laughs> to, uh, to that yep. uh, of an in-person <laughs> convention, even though I didn't walk four miles in a day. <laughs> the, the stress sort of, uh, the, the, the levels were the same. So it's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, we're still getting up at six in the morning and not going to bed till after midnight each night. So it felt, felt, Felt very consistent from that standpoint. Absolutely. <laughs> I wish that I could have gotten everybody who played a role in, in in this amazing convention that we had on the program today. But we definitely have talent, as you said earlier, in someone who has been sig significantly responsible for a lot of the last couple of years of conventions and now most definitely a huge part of the success of this convention Janet, say hello, and Eric and Dan, please, please take this opportunity to tell Janet whatever you'd like to tell Janet about her participation and her amazing dedication to making sure that this convention felt like a real convention. Janet, welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me. And it was an amazing convention. I just, I'm still blown away. I mean, there's so many things that I can think of about this convention. And the, the thing that comes to my mind is cooperation. I mean, all the affiliates and committees, they went from having an in-person convention to going to a virtual convention too. And, you know, at first, after I got onto the virtual bandwagon, which Dan knows and <laughs> freely admits, took me a night. <laughs> And after I had after I had my cry, then I said, okay, you know, we'll do this. But I had to get all the affiliates and committees on. And they, you know, just jumped on right there with me and embraced it. All of our business partners, our exhibitors, we had a huge exhibit hall this year. 
virtual exhibit hall and our sponsors. I mean, everybody jumped right onto this virtual bandwagon and that was so heartening to me. It has to be said, it, it absolutely has to be said that all of us jumped on the bandwagon as, as solidly as we did because you let us. Dan, you let us too. Eric, you let us. But the, the point of the first point of communication from most of us was you. And, mm -hmm. and you steadfastly told us we were going to do this. We were going to do it amazingly. And, um, you know, you held some hands along the way. But, uh, you. Yes. but you yeah, really Jen. jumped in with both feet and made this, made this, you know, yeah. not an if, but a when and a how. She, Janet was definitely the glue. I mean, if it was contacting sponsors or vendor exhibitors, the affiliates, the committees that were participating in constant contact with Debbie and Jason and Jeff with ACB Radio and Rick and Deb to schedule the, the uh, general sessions and all the breakout sessions. I mean, Janet, Janet was, uh, as we affectionately say, herding cats each day, yeah. right, Janet? Well, <laughs> and doing a great job of it. This is my ninth convention, and I thought I'd seen it all after convention eight, but no, <laughs> I was wrong. <laughs> Obviously not. And but, I would say, it, and also negotiating the contract with Schomburg, so we not only were able to leave our, our 2020 contract behind with no with no liquidated damages, but now we have the wonderful venue to go back to in 2023. Yeah. And, you know, we had started a lot of work on the infrastructure of the convention. We had a lot of tour venues that we had already worked with and we had a lot of deposits on tours. And I am pleased to say that finally we have all of them back. Wow. So that, and we had a couple that weren't quite, you know, sure what they were going to do because their businesses and you know they were counting on our revenue and i hated to do it but you know i had to look out for acb and our so we got everything back on our tours which is good and that that was i think the hardest thing going from in person to virtual obviously i knew that we had to do it because of corona and because of everyone's safety but just telling my committee who had already done so much work that yeah. okay we have to back off now and people like Sally, who worked so hard on volunteers, and Rhonda, who worked so hard on tours for our 2021 convention, they didn't really have that big of a role in our virtual convention. So, you know, it was, it was a little different, but getting to work with some amazing people, I've always worked with Rick because he's always done our AV, so I know how amazing Rick is. But Deb Cook-Lewis and all these Zoom rooms that she set up, and all the invitations she sent out for all the panelists. I mean, that was amazing. And and Debbie Hazelton and I, I mean, we talked daily all of, you know, and Jason, who did the Star Spangled Bat. Jason, you have a fan club, by the way. I've heard from yes. people. Wow, Jason, he did a great job. I didn't know he was a singer. I mean, just all the little things that we went to from in-person to virtual convention. And it worked and it worked so well. And I know, I think the most important thing though is all the new people that we shared ACB with. We had so many first time attendees and I know that we had so many people, all of several special interest affiliates that I spoke with said, wow, 
we had more members join our special interest affiliate during this virtual convention than we have in in-person conventions. So that was, you know, wonderful yeah. to see. Absolutely. I can definitely echo that from a BPI standpoint. Yeah. The, the messages were coming in daily, three, four, five new people a day, seven people, 10 people. It was, it, I, and, and we literally shed a couple of tears along the way because it was just like, wow, we did this and we really did this yeah, well. It's amazing. One of the things that we kept hearing over and over and over again, and Janet, you just touched on it, was this is my first convention. I wouldn't have been able to go to convention because right. of, and there were, you can fill those reasons in, medical reasons, financial reasons, job responsibilities. Uh, so many people said that they were able to go back, get podcasts of the things that they weren't able to do because of taking care of someone or being at work yes. and so on and so forth. So, I mean, I think it's 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 so amazing how many first time people, how many people said they were coming back to ACB because of the energy. So Dan, Eric, Janet, Debbie, Jason, all of you guys, anybody who wants to step in and say something about the energy that we've created here based around convention and, and, and the amazing, amazing job we've done. Yeah, it, 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 go ahead, Debbie. I just, I think I want to say that, you know, I think Cindy knows with her job that relationships are such a key in membership and in, in loyalty and in building. And I think so many people found from this that they're not alone, that none of us are alone. And the ways in which we can interact together on uh, whether it's community calls and some people also said at times they didn't want to interact anymore on a call or on a zoom. They just wanted to listen on ACB radio. So mm -hmm. I am a proponent of community calls being on ACB radio. That's how shows are born. That's how casters happen in one way that's all kinds of talent coming forward that's how affiliates grow i i just think it's just a wonderful a wonderful opportunity but the relationships that i think people could feel themselves knowing that are there uh in the way that this convention happened everything from how the program reads how janet let's make sure that everyone knows that someone is there whether it's an email, a phone call, whatever yeah. that needs. And um, ACB is a lot about relationships and community. It's, it's community. That's why. And, and, yes, I, I completely agree with everything that Debbie said. It's all about relationships and in so many different areas. And, and I think we tried something new this year for our low vision and sighted community, which was we really had a strong video presence. And that was thanks mm -hmm. to Anthony Stevens and Rick Morin, JoLynn Bailey Page, who was in the green room getting everybody uh, yes. ready to go and have their best profile when they uh, when they got on the air. And, and because of that, we have all this wonderful video content that was shared with Facebook Live and on YouTube and is, you know, is available for uh, for that community to take advantage of. And and then also the relationships we built from a financial side. I saw 
uh, Softy Holloway, which I assume is George's guide yeah. dog, George Holiday's guide dog. And what a great job him and Gene did with, uh, you know, with the monthly monetary support program. You know, we had yeah. so many people join this year. And Leslie is still on cloud nine with her and her team. They're having an auction call tonight. The auction that oh. so much uh, had more participation than it's ever had. That before. was an amazing auction. That was that was really a fun night. And, and it got done quickly. And it, it was done by before 11 o'clock. Yes. That was like a shock of all shocks, yes. you know, so that was and everybody really was so patient and, you yeah. know, so actively like they wanted. And I eager. think there were so many people that <laughs> yes. were bidding because yes. they were caught up in it. Oh, yeah. Eager to, oh, yeah. At some point, somebody had to say, please let the let the describer finish describing before we start <laughs> bidding. <'cause they> were, <laughs> yeah. It was intense. <laughs> it was extremely intense. And, and then the Braille form raffle tickets. Oh, my gosh, we sold out of those. But who's when's that ever happened? And then I don't think it ever has. No, I don't believe it has either, Janet. And then uh, you know, so that was exciting. And then all the individuals that that sponsored the convention that gave up their you know of their of their treasure to be part of that. So it was it was absolutely uh, amazing the relationships on so many sides. I think. Eric and I, you, everybody probably did, but we participated in the community wrap-up call that that Cindy yes. had there on Friday night. And at some point in time, there was like over 300 people on the Zoom call, oh, yeah. and I don't know how many yeah. on the radio. I mean, people just didn't want it to end. You it know? was a show that would never end. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Until one thirty in the morning. Hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I always get a fair amount of email after the convention, which I always find, you know, very gratifying, except for the people who are complaining. But even the complaining people, I don't I, I'm happy to resolve your complaints. But this year it was even more in the outpouring of happiness from how we did this convention and how it turned out. I mean, it's just it's overwhelming. I don't know so, about the rest of you, but I still haven't come down yeah no, no i don't think we've fully come down something interesting happened um through all of the last several months and that is we were able to teach a good chunk of our membership how to communicate in a different way yep. and i would i would submit to you that 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 is a big reason why we were able to to have as much success as 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 we were able to experience this last week um you know, because of the virus and, you know, sheltering in place and working to create these community events and experiencing lots of challenges, frankly, with uh, free conference call numbers, um, we were able to sort of introduce and some may say force feed <laughs> our members um, <laughs> Zoom. and, mm -hmm. and, you know, getting acquainted with zoom and uh, having, you know, holding community events um, to, to teach folks about zoom uh, having, you know, that come into our collective uh, community yeah. as a, as a connector um, really, you know, flowed nicely into our convention and allowed for, for folks to engage um, in a way that we may not have thought could have been possible. So, 
So in case anybody is wondering, I don't have Cindy Hollis, um, the membership extraordinaire, formerly known as Van Winkle, on today because she, A, had family commitments that she so richly, richly deserves, but also I want to have her on and spotlight her on her own because we want to talk more about community calls. But let's talk about Cindy and the community calls for a second and the question slash comment that we heard over and over again on the the chats and most definitely that Friday night call. We don't want this to end. So let's go Dan, Eric, Janet, Debbie, um, in that order. We don't want this to end. What do you want to say to everybody out there, returning members, new members, people that can't wait to get to a physical convention, but what's going to happen going forward? What have we learned from convention <clears throat> that we're going to take forward throughout the, the rest of this year? Well, it, it's not going to end. I mean, uh, you, you'll definitely hear that from Cindy when you have him, have her on a, on a spotlight, but she's getting even more and more requests for community calls. Uh, when we were on the call with her Thursday, I think she already had over 50 something calls set up for, I think it was 54. for, this, yeah. for this week. Yeah. Right. I mean, and, and new, you know, new committees that are getting involved, uh, hosting uh, community chats, uh, new special interest affiliates, just anybody that has an idea, uh, you know, she's, she's welcome to embrace it. And so the hardest part is the schedule's really getting full. I mean, there are some days <laughs> where she has 12 and 13 uh, meetings, just a call set up for just one evening and one day. And, and so and three and that, four competing at the same time. Yeah. Even. Yeah. 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 So it, it's pretty, that, that I think is just absolutely exciting. So that momentum will continue. We've heard everybody loud and clear. And I think Janet and Eric and I have, have and Deb and uh, have also heard very clearly that, you know, a virtual, a strong virtual presence has to be part of any convention we do in the future, whether we're meeting in person or not. So we've, we've heard, I, I, I think I can speak for all of us, right, Janet and Eric and Debbie, that we, we've heard that message loud and clear. Oh, oh yes, yes, we have. Yeah. Oh, yes. yes. And, yes. and we're oh, listening. Yeah. We're listening yes. to that message. Yes, most certainly. And so, um, and, and then I think the, you know, the, the final part of that momentum is it, it's got to, we've got such amazing turnout of the number of people that got involved in these different sessions during the convention. So there's a wealth of follow-up information where we're going to reach out and and talk to people about transportation and talk to people about accessible voting. So I think there's there's a huge opportunity here in the advocacy area, also in the mm -hmm information referral and peer support area of all kinds of people with amazing talents that we didn't know about that we want Claire and, and her uh, program committee to take advantage of and start continuing to develop those relationships. And just on and on and on, I think we're going to find a renewed interest in our scholarship winners and, and keeping them involved and active inside the organization. So in public awareness, we continue to learn new ways to communicate, new ways to get the word out, not only to our existing members, but we're touching so many people that are just friends of ACB and not members mm -hmm. yet. So well, I think we're going to see that continue to grow. If I, if I had any challenge out there, it's everybody who's a member or a friend of ACB, go find five other friends and tell them that this is where the, this is where the party's <laughs> happening and come join us, we're, we're welcome. <laughs> 
you I'll tell you, you should have seen us last night. <laughs> yeah. <it's laughs> doing the newlywed game. Yes. Yeah, so oh, yeah. How did that go? Go? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my goodness. I can't believe I forgot about that. I got it. Oh, it's. It definitely archived. Send me the link for that, Debbie. Oh, God. Hopefully okay. it's, deep. it's in a deep archive, Debbie. Yes. <laughs> Eric, from a staff standpoint, you, you know, your team was incredible, amazing. There, every step of the way, no stone was left unturned. There was no, there were backups to the backups to the backups, you know. Talk about your staff for a second. Let everybody in ACB know, you know, what's a little bit behind the scenes, what it all looked like going into convention and, and how proud you must be at the moment of of everyone. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really proud. Um, it, it's great to work with a whole bunch of people that are smarter than me. Um, <laughs> and that's part of the reason why I hired them. Uh, <laughs> you know, they, they've got different skill sets. They've got different... Um, you know, different passions, uh, you know, you, you take, for instance, Tony Stevens, um, you know, he was our director of advocacy and government affairs, went away, uh, was the executive director of a, a family services organization in Baltimore and uh, came back as our director of development and uh, was in the office for all of two weeks and then had to be at home for the next four months. And what, what did we have Tony doing? Well, we only had him uh, producing video uh, and, <laughs> and co-hosting, uh, uh, you know, these um, uh, transition shows on, on ACB Radio with Debbie and utilizing some of, his, some of his skill sets that he had from, you know, being in broadcasting, but also these are his passions. Was this what I hired Tony to do? No, but... Ultimately, at the end of the day, when you put together a really professional product, uh, folks pay attention and folks paid attention and gave to this organization during the convention yep. in, in ways that we've never seen. And so, you know, he, he played a, a significant role. Kelly Gask in all the work that she does with our social media, as well as our, our you know, the visually how we look uh, to the rest mm -hmm. of the world uh, digitally. Um, she did a tremendous job and she was there to, to assist Tony. Uh, we've served as the, the backup control room to, to Rick Morin in Boston. And so Kelly was um, ably assisting and working long hours with Tony and myself, um, you know, Clark and Claire. Um, so much of our convention every year is, it surrounds advocacy um, in, yep. in one form or another. And they participated, they, you know, they were, they were panelists. They had their advocacy boot camp that they had prepared long and hard for and put together a great uh, set of panelists to speak. Um, Sharon uh, Levering uh, in producing the, the digital daily, uh, you know, electronic form of our newspaper that you would ordinarily get in hard copy at the convention and working really closely with, uh, with Deb Cook Lewis and, and, and Janet and others. Um, she did, she did a wonderful job. The, the, the folks in, in Minneapolis, um, every year, uh, they, they get the, uh, the collective, uh, tough job of registration and, 
people like Nancy Becker. And, yeah, coordinating, yeah. coordinating mm-hmm. it, building out the 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 registration website, um, putting together the program. I mean, you yeah. guys, we we put together a physical program and had it yeah. in braille and large print. I mean, yeah. this is something that for a virtual event, um, it's 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 really unique and so cool that we were able to do this. Um, and a lot of that is due to the folks in Minneapolis, including Janet. Um, and yeah. the, the creation of the program is not, that, that, is a, that is a migraine waiting to happen every year. It just, oh. it's <laughs> upwards of a couple hundred pages, you know. Um, Cindy um, and, and Cindy's work uh, in <clears throat> membership engagement and, uh, you know, the, the immense amount of time she's spending on these community calls. She was holding community calls every night uh, during the convention and getting anywhere from 70, 80 people up to a couple hundred um, in the Zoom room. So, you know, her energy, her passion, her, uh, you know, belief (laughs) in the organization just sort of oozes (laughs) out of her. Um, It sure does. It's contagious, you know. Um, God, I'm making it sound like it's a viral thing. Uh, But at any rate. (laughs) uh, The new pandemic. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. But, um, you know, it's it's pretty awesome. And, you know, folks like Alicia Knight and and Nancy Christine and all of the the really – challenging at times work and dealing with the mini mall, the mini mall, you know, ran out of, we had to do extra buys for certain items and, and, you know, they're the, they're the folks that were, were there um, helping with all of that. So there's just, there's just a ton. There's just, you know, and then, you know, Debbie and Jason uh, as, as, you know, folks with ACB radio and all of the hours that they spent. Um, above and beyond, um, you know, either streaming or co-hosting or just making sure everything's okay. Fielding texts mm-hmm. from me when I'm asking them, you know, about how many folks are listening on the stream at four o'clock in the afternoon, you know, on uh, ACB Radio Cafe. And come to find out, you know, there's like 300. <laughs> it's like, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The numbers were simply staggering. Yeah. I want to yeah. give folks a chance to raise questions or comments. And while we wait to see whose hands are raised, Byron, if you can take a look for that. Eric or Dan, one of you guys, if you want to just say a couple of words to all the volunteers, I know how much, uh, you know, how much it means to the organization, all the volunteer hours that were put in. If one of you guys just wants to kind of tackle that for sure. a second, then we'll go to yeah, questions. Just, just thank you, thank you, thank you. A huge hip hip hooray. I mean, just absolutely countless uh, hours. <laughs> Everybody participated so much, gave so much of their time, talent, and treasure. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And. I have to give a shout out that I think this coming week, uh, Janet and, and team, uh, Rick and Tony, they're going to have a a convention, post-convention survey on the street. So, you know, be on the lookout for that. We really want to get everybody's uh, honest feedback of yeah. how they uh, how they found oh, the convention and, and things we can improve on, right? I mean, I we're, we're you never were satisfied. Say, yeah. I thought you were going to say we're going to have a Wednesday off. <laughs> well, you got to talk to Eric about that. 
<laughs> Wednesday morning from all of our work. Oh my goodness. Byron, do we who do we have waiting to uh to talk? Well, I don't see anybody in the wings waiting to talk. Um there's no oh. raised hands. However, I do have a, a comment that I'd like to make. Um my sure. previous job before I got this current job um, here in Minneapolis, which, by the way, was due to going to an ACB convention and being at the right bits luncheon. Um, <laughs> so thanks to ACB That's for funny. that. Um, one, of the comments I, one of the comments I wanted to make was that my previous employer, Horizons for the Blind, um, has always wanted to do the national ACB convention, but it was uh, always, you know, sort of a financial and also a time issue, you know, finding the group of people that could go and fly there and get a booth and all that stuff. And <clears throat> Horizons for the Blind really got to be um, in a nice spotlight um, because of the convention, because it was virtual. They yeah. were able to sponsor some um, exhibits and, did, and stuff. And I, I just eight, eight half hour day yep. exhibits. They yeah. had as they did each day. And, mm-hmm. wow. and a they lot of did. our exhibitors did that. And that was really cool. Yep. And, and I just want to mention people love the audio described tours. Oh, oh my amazing. God. Yes. That yeah, was they were. a huge. Mm-hmm. I had so many people calling me and there were a couple tours. <clears throat> Unfortunately, we don't have the rights to for airing after the convention. And I had so many people emailing me saying, but I missed the Holocaust tour. How can I get it again? And it was yeah. after the second day they were on. And I didn't get to see Mount Rushmore. What, you know, and, and I felt bad, obviously, but most of our tours are available as podcasts. Mm-hmm. And Looks one like- other thing I want to say while I'm stealing the microphone is I have to thank the people who, my volunteers who helped with convention registration. Karen, Paula, Kim, and Tracy, you guys helped so much because I was just getting constant calls. I could hardly write down the names of people who wanted to register, let alone parse them out to the four people who were doing registrations. It was so crazy, but we got them all done. I I did some and the four telephone registration people just, you know, were inundated and thank them. Mm -hmm. And I want to thank Vicki and Karen who manned the convention information desk and Jason and Viola who did the tech desk. And thank God they did the tech desk because I was trying to do it for a while and tech and I are not compatible. (laughs) So (laughs) really. And I want to. I want to thank our robust production team for yes. making so yes. many awesome pro, uh, promos, editing like yeah. crazy. Oh my God, you guys don't be that. around Janine Stanley when she's editing. You might get a haircut you don't want <laughs> because she <laughs> will chop away and edit. But wow, is she wow, good? She and Derek Lane, and of course Rick Morin, uh, who also edited even in the middle of all. Jeff oh. Bishop. Our, and Jeff is our, our steering committee chair, who I go to a lot with, with questions, ideas, support. Last night we had an incredible discussion about direction because we have seven <clears throat> virtual conventions between the end of August and October that are in the works. And wow. part of what I think is exciting is to take all of the talent that we have. We have a lot of leaders and to take all that leadership talent and channel it into productive, purposeful 
energy where that talent is going everywhere to do the good work that needs to be done by each and all of us. So very exciting. Looks like Karen, you make a comment or ask a question, Karen? Yeah, uh, y'all are doing such a good job. I enjoyed the convention, and like you said, um, it's kind of because it is virtual, and I had to do a lot of being at home during the day and in Schaumburg at night. And so I appreciate the time that I could go back and look at the things I missed. And I, I'm still wading through all those those uh, podcasts that y'all have filled up with, are gradually filling my stream up with. So I, I want y'all to know. It's very well appreciated. I'm learning a lot. I'm also uh, looked saw something on the email last week about Braille accessible Braille voting, and I'm not deaf and hard of hearing, but I kind of would like to follow their thread so that I can use more Braille as the president of a BRL of Texas. Great, great. Thank you. Thanks, Karen. Thank you. Thank you. Well, one of our leaders and wonderful convention gurus why don't you all give a final thought on convention this year and what the path is going to look like to next year's convention virtual is definitely always going to be in the equation no matter what whether it's in person or not we know we we've all you know raised the bar we've all learned so much and uh we've all found that we can still create a way to be in community. Yeah, and this is Dan. I would just say, let's let's continue to build on this. Uh, yeah. You know, we are, I really believe we're at a once in a hundred year type of an event in our country and around the world. I mean, yes, there's an amazing amount of stress and concern with COVID-19. We obviously have a lot to deal with when it comes to inclusion, but our our friends and our community is listening. And when people are listening is when change can actually really take place in an, in an amazing way. So we need to seize this opportunity. And I, I believe we, we have what it takes inside of ACB to do that. And so, as much as we had an amazing convention this year, I challenge us to make this coming year uh, the yeah. most productive that we can make <laughs> inside of our community. Right. How many weeks, Dan? Weeks. I think we're down to 369, Janet. It's getting, getting closer every day. <laughs> you would send out an email every week with the daily countdown. <laughs> 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 talk about stress but it eric any final thoughts yeah you know we've you know the community calls the the creation of you know the the facebook community group uh we've got the mm-hmm. acb voices uh blog that's going to be launched this week acbvoices.org uh we're working with a a consultant to to do a, a strategic communications plan that will be you know unveiled later this fall. Uh, there there are a lot of things that that we are up to in in terms of engagement and uh, communicating more effectively uh, with the blind community. There you know there are millions of us out there, and you know how how can we meet folks where they are in their life uh, 
show them ACB and our value to them. Um, a lot of people, a lot of different ways. A lot of people gave this year, both in their time and in funds. And if people that are listening right now enjoyed the convention immensely and would like to give a little more, Eric, where can they go to give? They can go to acb.org. There's a donate button, which is awesome. So that's the easiest thing to do. You could also uh, call the Minnesota office, 612-332-3242, and uh, give there as well. Well, I want to thank Eric. Eric, Dan. Okay, Mrs. Calendar for lunch. I wouldn't mind that. Um, Thank you to Debbie Hazelton, Jason Castanway, Eric Bridges, uh, Dan Spoon, Janet Dickelman, Ron Brooks from earlier, Gabriel Lopez-Capati. I will be back next Sunday with a second couple show. So please come and join us. I will tease. We'll have David and Rhonda Trot as our leading couple, and you'll have to come back to see who the other two couples will be. Thank you so much for joining me today, everyone. And here's to the rest of the path to the future. You've been listening to Sunday Edition with Anthony on ACB Radio Mainstream. For more information, questions, comments, feedback, suggestions, etc., please email celebration ac that's the word celebration with the letters ac at aol.com look forward to hearing from you and let's brunch again next sunday 